To say the last few years have been volatile across agriculture and around the world is putting it mildly. Supply chain pressures, global economy challenges, and dealing with the aftereffects of a once-in-a-generation pandemic have caused financial hardships here and abroad. The hog sector is not alone in feeling these effects, with labor shortages across the sector, challenges in pricing and margins, and thickening borders with key trading partners. Today on the show, we're joined by Manitoba Pork's Cam Dahl, who is going to try and help us make sense of the year that was in 2023 and the year to come in 2024. I'm Joey Dearborn, and this is Chop Talk. Uh, thanks for joining us, Cam. Really, really good to be here. Really appreciate it. Uh, Danielle is here alongside as well. Hello. Um, so we're talking a little bit about oh. the year that is now, 2024, um, coming out of 2023. Um, we're going to talk about some of the trends that we expect to see in 2024. So I guess let's start globally with international politics. Um, yeah. There's been some volatility in 2023, to say the least. Um, what do we expect to happen in 2024 to the best of our ability, and why is it important? Yeah, Joey, I started off 2023 with an editorial that was really focused on volatility and uncertainty. And unfortunately, we can say for 2024, it's deja vu all over again. Um, maybe not quite. We're seeing some some indicators move in the right direction, such as feed cost. Uh, but we really do still face that large level of uncertainty. And um, one of those is the war in Ukraine. Uh, what uh, most people don't realize what a big supplier that Ukraine was and the Black Sea was in general. Uh, Ukraine was the third largest corn exporter in the world. Uh, so, you know, the withdrawal of that supply from the international market uh, really does have an impact on prices. And, you know, if, if you're sitting in Steinbach, Manitoba, you might wonder, well, you know, why is that going to impact my price? Uh, but of course, the price of corn you pay uh, in Steinbach is determined on the world market. So that's one area of, of significant instability that that is is going to impact prices. Uh, another is what's happening in China um, on two fronts. Uh, one is the the general Chinese market, and we're really not certain what's what direction the Chinese economy is going. And, you know, there are some indicators that, that it's not going well. And that is resulting in, in reduction in, in demand for meat um, because people just can't afford it. Uh, much like large parts of the world, right? Uh, food inflation is happening everywhere. And uh, they are the world's largest consumer. They're also the world's largest producer, but they're the world's largest consumer. So that is having an impact. And then there's also the the policy implications of, of trade with, with China, um, you know, when trading with China, everything is tied together. So if there are, are policy disagreements um, or political disagreements, that's going to impact trade. And of course, we do have some political disagreements with, with, uh, with, with China. So that introduces a large level of uncertainty and, uh, you know, uncertainty whether our processors can actually get into the Chinese market. And then also with China, of course, we have the impact of ASF. And, um, you know, is, is that over with? I don't think it is. And what impact is that going to have on Chinese supply? 
and we don't know the answer. And so hence you get volatility and, and instability uh, on the feed market, high feed prices, and we're getting uh, volatility and instability on the market. So the, the Chinese um, market or consumer base has been volatile in the past. Um, is there anything different now um, about the volatility we're seeing in that market base? Um, or is it kind of that, that similar volatil- volatility we've seen in the past? I, I, from my perspective, I, I think it's, it's more volatile today for, for a couple of reasons. One, I think in the past, we still had that supercharged Chinese economy that, you know, that was growing at 8 9% a, a year, uh, and, and that's not happening anymore. Uh, where is it at? Um, that's just a guess. Uh, so I, I'm not going to guess, but it's, it's not at that supercharged rate. And, and so, uh, you know, that is impacting consumer demand. And then, uh, you know, I, I think the, the political relationship hasn't improved, <laughs> to, to put it that way. And, and that's also increasing that volatility as well. There's a, like, talk about China a little bit. There's stories out there, and we can see how true they are or not, but that uh, there's a lack of population growth, basically. Um, so this uh, volatility with China could last for a generation, frankly, considering how slow their population is growing. Yeah, I, I hope that's not the case because that would also contribute to political instability as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that wouldn't be good for, for anybody in the world. Uh, part, of, part of the issue, I, I think, with China is, is that we just don't know. And, um, you know, we just don't have a, a real solid handle on, on what's happening with the economy and what's happening with, the, with, the, with demand. It's, it's difficult. Um, but yes, I can, you know, that the, what's happening to the population in China is going to obviously impact demand as well. So when it comes to the volatility um, due to the numerous factors, when it, for the producer, um, what exactly is it that they need to know? Um, or that they need to be thinking about? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think, you know, from, from my perspective, and it's going to be different on every single farm, um, but, you know, if you can lock in a good price for, for corn and soybeans today, it's probably a good idea to lock in some good prices for corn and, and soybean uh, to, today because we're not quite sure where they're going to be in, in six to, to, to eight months. And and so that, that risk management... Um, you know, in, in a, a volatile world is becoming more and more important. And that applies to things like forward contracting as, as well on, on the marketing side. So uh, optimizing risk management tools is, is key. And another factor that's in this that we should, you know, recognize is, uh, of course, the, the Canadian dollar is depreciating in, in, uh, in comparison to the U.S. dollar. And we, we buy and sell in U.S. dollars. So that's also contributing. So there's there's price risk, risk, there's input price cost risk, um, and there's also exchange risk. So that's a pretty natural segue into uh, talking about the United States, which remains Canada's biggest trading partner. Um, talk about trade a little bit, and I guess this rise in protectionism uh, in the United States from both parties, seemingly. Yeah, it's, it doesn't depend whether you're a, a Democrat or a Republican America first is is kind of a theme that that's running through through both parties, and that is concerning, especially for 
uh, you know, Manitoba farmers, we, we export and in terms of hog farmers, we export 90% of what we produce. And yes, you're, you're right. When you combine the, the live animals that go to places like Iowa and, and Minnesota, uh, with the pork that we ship, um, they are our largest, largest customer. Uh, there are some, some really concerning trends, uh, you know, that are really undermining that integrated North American market. Uh, one of those is, is Proposition 12, uh, and I'm going to use Proposition 12 as an example of a bundle. There's quite a number of states that are looking at, at similar regulations. And what Proposition 12 did is it put in place uh, animal welfare requirements, not just for the pigs that are raised in California, but for the pork that is uh, sold in California. And really, when we established uh, the original Canada-U.S. trade agreement and then NAFTA and then now Kuzma, uh, there's a foundation that that's built on. And, and that foundation includes recognition of each other's sanitary and phytosanitary and animal welfare regulations and requirements that, uh, you know, we recognize that, that the, the U.S. regulatory system meets the, the Canadian needs. Um, and also a recognition that we're not negotiating with 50 individual states. Um, we're negotiating with the United States of America. And uh, Proposition 12 has, uh, is really undermining that word united. And, and so it's fragmenting the, the American market. You know, the conditions in California are going to be different than the conditions in Massachusetts. So which do you sell into? And, you know, are the California conditions going to change in a year? You just spent you know, $10 million refurbishing your barn and all of a sudden the goalposts have changed. Um, so that's uh, adding a lot of cost and a difficulty in, you know, really meeting um, what our largest market is, is, is looking for. So it's, it's difficult. The other one that I'm concerned about is country of origin labeling. Um, uh, I know the U.S. has said, well, it's voluntary, don't worry about it. But uh, I'll, I'll give you two examples of why I'm, I'm really worried about it and why I don't think it's voluntary. Uh, one is, uh, if you look at some of the major retailers, you even go into Costco in Canada and look at their Kirkland uh, products, all of the pork is, is labeled uh, made in the USA or product of the, of the USA. So if the requirements for meeting that label change, it's going to have a big impact on, on uh, Canadian uh, producers. Right now, uh, isoween can be born in Canada and shipped to the States and and finished in Iowa and processed in, in the U.S., that product qualifies for, for product of the USA label because the majority of, of that production took place in the United States. If the, the proposed rules go forward as they're drafted, uh, that pork would not be eligible uh, for the product of the USA label uh, because the, the pig was born in Canada. And so what is, you know, a, a company like Costco going to do? Are they going to change their label and their marketing? Or are they just going to look at their suppliers and say, you have to comply? Um, it's going to be the latter. And, you know, it just takes a couple of the large retailers to, to go down that path. And that voluntary has suddenly become mandatory. Uh, there's another part of it is, is the U.S. government is actually, you know, the largest customer for food in, in the United States. And of course, the U.S. government only buys made in the U.S., product of the U.S. So suddenly Canadian pork isn't eligible to be part of military purchases or the, uh, the school lunch programs or all the other programs that the uh, federal government uh, has in place. 
So uh, if, if these changes go forward, we are, we are really going to see discrimination against um, both Canadian pork as well as Canadian live pig exports. Um, and, uh, you know, we really need to see, see our government fighting back on, on these, uh, this growing protectionism. So maybe a multifaceted question, but when it comes to those producers, uh, those, those isoene exporters, um, they, are we going to see a drop in price, a drop in demand, a combination of both? Um, if there is a, a drop in demand, does that, where, where are these um, farms in the U.S. going to get their isoenes? How, how does that all work? And maybe it's not an easy answer, but um, what, what do you predict in that arena? Um, as long as you don't go back a year from now and hold me to this, yeah. I'll give you an answer. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a combination of the two, and I, I'm going to look back at what happened the last time the U.S. put in country of origin labeling legislation, which, of course, we successfully uh, took to the WTO and, and won that case. Uh, we saw a combination of both. So there, you know, definitely was discrimination against Canadian live animals moving into the U.S., and that you know, that was the basis of, of Canada and Mexico's success at, at the WTO was that discrimination was proven. Um, so we would see that uh, a decrease in, in price because if, you know, the Iowa farmer that's finishing the pig, if he suddenly has his options, he can't sell them to the five places he was selling them before, um, he's, he'll say, yeah, I'll take your pigs, but I can't pay as much for them. Um, and and you, we also saw, again, back to the original country of origin labeling time period, we also saw a reduction in movement and demand. Mm -hmm. So it was a combination of both. Um, as to your other question on, you know, where is the U.S. going to get their, their isoenes from? Yeah, we, we ship almost 2 million pigs to Iowa every year. Um, that's, that's the, you know, interesting thing about regulations that limit trade is... They hurt everybody, and in this case, it means that uh, the price of isoenes is going to go up for U.S. farmers, and the price of pork is going to go up for U.S. consumers. And so if you restrict trade, everybody loses. Farmers in Canada lose, farmers in the U.S. lose, and U.S. consumers lose. It's uh, not a good approach. I should also mention that, you know, yes, the U.S. is the largest uh, market for us, but Canada is also the largest market for the U.S. And uh, everybody, you know, it's the opposite of of, of uh, everybody loses with protectionism. Um, everybody in the chain gains uh, when we when we see free trade. And uh, in a time when we're looking at you know significant food inflation, where food costs is is a problem, I think government should be looking to do everything they can uh, to to limit unnecessary prices increases for for food and trade protection is something that's going to increase the price of food are there any other non-tariff trade barriers that producers should be concerned about uh you know looking at at other parts of the country and again this is this is where we need our government to be fighting on our side is uh you know europe in particular and um when we signed the the canada eu trade agreement there was there was strong support from agriculture uh, and that hasn't been realized. The uh, the benefits haven't haven't come to to the table, and and that's because the EU is using non tariff trade barriers to to 
limit um, importing Canadian products. Um, you know, for example, uh, carcasses are washed uh, to limit the potential for, for bacteria infection. And um, many Canadian plants use citric acid, so think lemon juice. And it's not lemon juice, but it, it kind of is the same. And, uh, you know, that isn't an approved product in the EU. So, you know, we can't export. If you, if you use a, a citric acid wash, you can't export to the EU. Um, well, again, that's ridiculous because uh, these processes that are, are in place in Canadian plants are actually making our food a lot safer. And, um, you know, safer food that isn't allowed to be uh, exported to the EU is, is, is ridiculous. And, you know, unfortunately, we're seeing some of those conditions replicated. The uh, uh, UK has, has recently signed a trade agreement with, with Canada because, of course, they're no longer part of the EU. And many of these conditions were just rolled over. And, and again, that's not what we need from our governments. Um, we need them to, to stand up and, uh, you know, fight for, for Canadian producers across the board, whether they raise pigs or beef or, or grain. Um, and... You know, not only negotiate new agreements, but make sure the agreements we have in place work. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing, again, that rise in protectionism overall, and um, we should be fighting back. So let's bring things a lot closer to home here in Manitoba. Uh, in 2023, Manitobans elected an NDP government once again. Uh, minister Ron Kistitian came back as Minister of Agriculture, who farmers will re- remember well. Um, maybe walk us through some of the perceived or real policy risk that may exist with a new government. Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, policy risk, no matter what the party is, is something that we need to pay attention to as producers, just as much as we pay attention to disease risk. Um, because we get, if we get policy going in the wrong direction, it's going to have just as big of an impact on, on producers' farms. Uh, you know, the, the beginning of, of this government, we're, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of positive, positive uh, responses, and uh, you know one of those is is acknowledgement from the premier down on the the economic impact of the uh, the pork industry in, in Manitoba, and I'm I'm really pleased uh, pleased to to see that that uh, you know the twenty two thousand jobs and two point three billion dollars to the the economy is 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 something that they know and recognize and, and, and want to build on with things like, uh, you know, Protein Manitoba, for, for example, um, and recognize, you know, the, the importance of the value-added jobs. Uh, really what we're looking for right now is, is to establish a, a couple of things in, in our relationship with, with the new government. And one of those is that starting point of, of just a recognition of how important agriculture is to, to Manitoba. Uh, and another is that culture of consultation that we'll, we'll be able to, to talk about policy and implementation um, before we see something introduced in the legislature or appear in the Manitoba Cooperator or Winnipeg Free Press, uh, that we'll have an opportunity for input before that happens. And again, the, the indications are that uh, that's the kind of relationship that the new government wants as, as well. And another key point, whether it's on, um, you know, animal welfare or, or environmental uh, regulations, is that uh, the, the carrot always works better than the stick, right? So if, um, if we're looking for new environmental regulations, for example, let's, uh, let's put some incentives to reward early adopters. Um, 
let's uh, let's encourage movement to <clears throat> new best management practices as opposed to, to regulations that are going to impose costs on new producers. When it comes to um, the, these risks or, and changes, uh, how can the producers get involved or what are some kind of action steps that they can take to make sure that they are fully informed and able to be proactive. That's really our job as as Manitoba pork producers to is is to ensure that that information is available and um, that's something that we're working on as an organization is is how do we ensure that farmers' voices are heard uh, uh, through things like the Pork Proud program um, and uh, providing providing producers or our members with the, the tools to be able to, to have this conversation, not with just with the government, but, but with consumers as well, um, because that's where policy come from, ultimately. It, it comes from, uh, uh, it comes from the, the population, the citizens, and uh, we want Manitobans to understand the importance of this industry as well. So that's our job, but the producer's job is, is to engage and um, you know, whether it's through podcasts like this or, or meetings with, uh, with you, Danielle, on, on our extension and, and outreach programs, um, you know, through Chop Talk, really to see what those, what these issues are and, and engage with MPC. You mentioned the real risk that's involved in disease management, whether it be PD or Seneca Valley or even preparations for ASF. Uh, walk us through... Uh, I guess, where you see that going in 2024, what producers can do besides the enhanced biosecurity measures that they're are likely already practicing uh, and kind of tee up what we could expect in 2024. Yeah, um, you know, I, PED has, has shown how much, how much cost um, can be borne by, by producers from a major disease outbreak. Fortunately, now we don't have, have any active cases, but if you look at the cycle, um, it's, it seemed to have come every two years. So uh, my first message would be, uh, you know, let's not let our guard down. Um, uh, we can't skimp on, on biosecurity at all. And I know that that's difficult when, um, you know, when margins are tight or negative. Um, you might not have, an, have enough staff in your barn. Uh, there might be a tendency to cut some corners sometimes. Uh, but that's, uh, PD is not forgiving at all. And uh, we need to ensure that that tight biosecurity is maintained. And then the other is, of course, we've, we've worked together with all sectors of, of the industry, um, our veterinary community, uh, Manitoba Agriculture, our chief veterinary officer, uh, producers from across the problem, our province, uh, High Life, Maple Leaf, um, to, to come together with a, a PED elimination plan that, uh, to, to work to, to reduce this risk. So I would ask producers to be familiar with the plan. Um, if you have any questions, call us. If you want to talk about it, call us. We'll come out and meet with you. Um, but be familiar with what's in the plan and uh, the steps that need to be taken should PED come back. Uh, and, you know, that's one of the, the biggest risks I, I think that we face right now on disease. And, of course, um, the, uh, the impact of African swine fever or any other foreign animal disease, foot and mouth disease, would actually be more devastating than, uh, than ASF. Uh, so we're actively working with, with other pork organizations, the provincial government, the federal government, um, to, to plan to minimize the impact should, should ASF arrive. So that's, 
that crisis planning is is taking up some significant time here at Manitoba Fork. And then finally, maybe talk about uh, risk management. Uh, what producers can do to protect themselves and better insulate their operations from risk. Yeah, I, I think again that gets back to to talking about some of that that volatility, whether it's um, you know a forward contracting on on your your animals and uh, securing that at a reasonable margin as, as far out as, as possible because we are going to see some swings in 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 prices uh, or you know whether it's using risk management tools to, to lock in prices for for corn and and, and soybeans I, I mentioned you know at the start that we 2024 is starting off a little bit better than 23 and and the the price of inputs is, is one of those that that um, no, fortunately, corn and soybeans are not at record prices, uh, but they're still well above the five-year average because of, of uh, you know, international con- conditions and and uh, you know production droughts and, and in across across North America as well too. So, uh, just you know, m- mitigating that risk or mitigating the volatility as much as possible, I, I think, is is something that would be useful in in twenty twenty four. Okay. I think it would be safe to say as well, like you had mentioned, biosecurity practices um, and and being aware of, of some of those disease risks. Maybe if we could also just touch a little bit on Seneca Valley and just what producers need to be aware of in that area as well. Yeah, and, and Seneca Valley is an odd one because it's really not that bad of a disease for pigs. It's kind of like a cold. Um, unfortunately, the symptoms are, look like uh, a number of foreign animal diseases, like, like foot and mouth disease. Those lesions on the nose are, are triggers for uh, a foreign animal disease investigation. So that's what happens if, if Canadian pigs arrive at a, a processing plant in the U.S. and they have symptoms of Seneca Valley, uh, that triggers a costly foreign animal disease investigation um, by the USDA, and and that's why they got a little uh, tight with the uh, with exports from from Canada for the last two years. Uh, it it wasn't just flaring up in Canada, but it was also flaring up in the U.S. So uh, the the USDA was seeing you know quite a number of of these foreign animal disease investigations that they needed to carry out, um, and uh, you know one of the ways that they looked to prevent that was to restrict the flow of, of pigs from, from Manitoba. So the, the key, key thing is just don't ship sick pigs. Like if they're showing any symptoms at all, don't put them on the truck. Um, and, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that the risk is eliminated, uh, but it definitely is heightened if, if there's pigs with, with symptoms that are, that are going on to the truck. Um, that border could close very quickly. Okay, great. So I guess it's safe to say that along with, you know, taking advantage of futures and, and forecasting, also making sure biosecurity is up to snuff and you're, you're informed um, about what's going on and the risks throughout the year um, is, is a, a whole look at our, our producers' risk management tools. I think that's exactly right. Okay, as we wrap up here, Cam, uh, is there anything you're looking forward to in 2024 besides maybe a Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup run? Uh, well, a Bombers Cup. We could hey, be there the you go. City of Champions again. That's <laughs> that would be a that would be a good thing. I you know I I think we've gone through a, a 
a couple years where, where it's been difficult. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that as we move through 2024 that uh, we can see those positive margins come back again in the industry. And, and so uh, hopefully we're headed in the right direction. Right on. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Cam. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. It was a privilege. Thank you. Thanks. Chop Talk is a Manitoba Pork production. Produced and edited by me, Joey Dearborn. Hosted by me, Danielle Deliniak, and Rhea Taranishi. Music by Buxton Road. Take it away, guys. <laughs>